All right, so the NHL is back, and uh, after a three-week break, uh, we're back in the swing of things here, the stretch run, especially for the Rangers coming up, and they have uh, three games and four nights with the Blackhawks, and uh, really this weekend is a, is a big back-to-back in, uh, in Philly and then home against the Bruins, who are rolling along uh, just like they have the last few seasons. And here to talk a little Rangers-Bruins with the big game on Sunday night in New York is Danny Picard of uh, Dig Radio in Boston. You can hear his show, I'm Just Saying, on Dig Radio, and you can also hear him on WEEI in Boston. Dan, how's it going today? It's good. I'm good. How are you doing, Neil? I'm doing well. Uh, I guess before we get into this, we've been doing a week of hockey podcasts here uh, as we wrap the week up, and I've asked everyone else about it, so I guess I'll start off asking you about Team USA's disappointing finish in the Olympics and your thoughts on that. Mm. Yeah, you know, I'm not surprised because when they built this team, or at least when the selection process was being made, um, I didn't agree with leaving Keith Yandel and Bobby Ryan off the roster, but even more so just Keith Yandel. I think that on the Olympic ice surface, the larger ice surface, I think you need to build all aspects of your game uh, with the best offensive players that you can find. And, you know, Keith Yandel, I mean, since the last Olympics, he has the most points out of any American defenseman, and it's not like he slowed down. So I just didn't understand that. And, and then still with Bobby Ryan, you know, a guy who scores, what, 30 goals a year, I mean, they could obviously use some goals. They didn't score any goals in the last two games that they played. Uh, but going into the tournament, I mean, going into the Olympics, I just felt like I felt like Team USA built the they built their team to win a seven game grinded out playoff series on an NHL ice surface, and um, I think that's that was a bad way to go about it. So it, that it wasn't a seven game series; it was it got down to one game elimination, and uh, I'm I'm not surprised that they didn't go home with the medal. To be honest, I think the hardest thing was that. The way they played through those first four games, everyone expected more. It was sort of um, a letdown, I guess you could say, to have to have to face Canada in the semifinal game rather than play a game to face them eventually in the gold medal game. But like you said, leaving Bobby Ryan off, a very uh, suspect move, just like Yandel, because this team, from when I when it was announced, I thought they lacked offense, and I've told people I thought they were just a star-studded version of the Rangers where they'd sort of rely heavily on their goalie to win games um, and some steady defense rather than on goal scoring, and that turned out to be what the difference was in their two biggest games. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, you could look at Canada – and their, uh, their preliminary round, you know, it was like they just barely got by Norway for crying out loud. Uh, um, so it obviously mattered when it got to win, win one game, you know, one and done. And I, I think on that surface, even though, you know, Canada, it was only a one goal game. Um, you know, you, you could have obviously used more offense if you were, or any offense at all, if you were team USA, but I mean, you know, I I think I picked Canada in one game over USA any day of the week, given those two rosters. Maybe you know what? Maybe even if you did put Yandel and Ryan on Team USA, I I still might be I still might pick Canada to win that game. Um, but I think you know the way it played out, it was that they weren't playing in the finals; they were playing in the semifinals. You know, by the time Team USA gets to the bronze medal game, I think it's just human nature at that point to maybe let down after you did let up a couple goals uh, to Finland because, I mean, let's face it, Team USA, they didn't go there. As, as much as me and you maybe disagree with the rosters that they put together, the players that were on that team, they didn't go there to uh, win a bronze medal. They went there to win gold. And when you're not even in that game, gold medal game, I just think that human nature takes over at some point. You don't, you don't get, as much as the fans might not want to hear that, 
you don't get up for that game as much as maybe you should if you went to that tournament for the gold medal and nothing else. And the league has been so against having their players go there, not only because of the injury aspect, which sort of backfired on them with guys like Matt Zuccarello being now out for a few weeks. Uh, mm. John Tavares is probably Canada's second, third best player. Stamkos is there, and he's now out for the season, so the Islander season's over. And uh, aside from the injuries, they don't like shutting business down for three weeks in the middle of their season. They don't get to have the All-Star game, the skills competition. Um, I'm a big believer in... Uh, letting the NHL players play. I think that you want the best players to represent each country uh, um, as much as possible. And I'm not all for, you know, bringing this back to an amateur thing and sort of making a second world juniors uh, every four years. Are you a guy that likes having the NHL players play in the games? Or are you you a guy that wants to sort of have the, let the junior guys and the guys who are of age, but not in the NHL play? Well, I mean, I love the NHL players in the tournament. I think it puts the NHL um, on the worldwide stage and, uh, you know, uh, until the players come out and overwhelmingly say, Hey, we don't want to play in the Olympics anymore. Then, you know, I will continue to say that, that the NHL players should be in. I, I know the owners don't want it, but the same argument that the owners gave going into these Olympics is the same. It's the same argument that they're going to have going into 2018, which is, we don't want to shut our season down for two weeks in the middle of the season. And I can understand that. I mean, who, who in their right mind would, would, as an owner or, you know, commissioner of a professional league, professional sport, would want to shut their league down in the middle of the season? I mean, it just doesn't happen in any other sport. It, it doesn't really make sense with the business aspect of things. But when you look at, I think, the upside, which is, you know, you're not just giving the players time off. You're putting the best players on the worldwide stage against each other. I, I mean... I think ultimately it helps the game in that sense because especially the USA-Russia game, I mean, you know, I guarantee you you're going to see some people try to tune in and find out what, what TJ Oshie is up to these next couple of weeks, uh, and they might not be people that would ever tune into an NHL game at all. So I think the NHL wins with that, and, and, and I don't see really how else it hurts the league. I mean, even though they shut the league down for two weeks, it's not like they're only playing 65 games this season. You know, they're, they're still going to play a full season. They're just, maybe the other downside is they're squeezing in all these games here, uh, in, in the last month and a half. But, you know, I, I mean, until I hear the players say they don't want to play in it, then I'm going to be on the side of keep the NHL players going to the Olympics. I agree, and I mean, you look around the country, and uh, I mean, right down the street from where you live, that that crazy party at uh, Stats in South Boston. I mean, you don't get things like that um, unless no. that unless the local teams in the Stanley Cup. So, I mean, the, that alone just goes to show you how many people care about Olympic hockey and are learning the players' names, like you said. And that's something that you don't get until pretty much the conference finals or the Stanley Cup final round of the NHL. Yeah, and you know, TJ Oshie. I mean, I don't. I know that the diehard hockey fan knew who he was, but. You know, there's there's a lot of people who might be average hockey fans that maybe didn't even know. I had a friend of mine who actually is 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 decently big into hockey, and you know he he's, he knows a lot about the sport, and he actually slept through the Russia USA game, <laughs> and 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 when he read on 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 the bottom line on on uh, you know TV when it said oh. Uh, Team USA versus Russia, Oshie scores the game-winner in shootout. He is, he didn't know who T.J. Oshie was. He said, oh, Russia must have won. <laughs> uh, so, uh, I, I mean, there are people that didn't know who some of these guys are. So, absolutely, I mean, 
there will be people that will watch the sport because of this, and not just because of that, but because of some of the other games that were played. I mean, I love it, and and I'm, again, until the players say they don't want to play, I, I think they should still they should still go. So the NHL returns. The Bruins get their first game in on uh, Wednesday night against Buffalo in a very uncharacteristic uh, overtime loss to, to Buffalo, who's easily the worst team in the league this year. But when you factor in coming off the break, having a three-week layoff, Tuka Rask doesn't play in that game. Um, do you mm-hmm. sort of just you know just forget about what happened in that game, or, or did you notice anything of the Bruins coming out of the second half here? I guess put half in quotes uh, that sort of surprised you. Well, in the in the Buffalo game, I mean, it, the the Bruins got out to a terrible start. It was they were awful, and you could tell they were obviously um, affected by the two and a half week layoff. But but I think that was just, that's that's just again human nature. I think that's just normal. They got their act together. They were down three one. They came back, tied the game at three, ended up taking a four three lead. They got a bad bounce out front with Buffalo's goalie pulled, and then you know you get a you get a bad play uh, that results in a little bit more hustle from Buffalo in overtime. And they win it. I don't think it was an awful loss. I, I think you actually, if you're a Bruins fan, you got to look at it and say, hey, you know what? They didn't even send two grass to travel for this game. And one of the big strategies the Bruins are going to have to take in this sprint here in the last month and a half is you're going to need to give two grass some time off because he's already surpassed the maximum, or, or he's surpassed the most starts he's ever made in a single season already. And I mean, this was before the Olympic break. He plays in the Olympics. Um, now, you know, I think if you're the Bruins, you need to make sure you rest him as much as possible. I even think there's got to be road trips here at some point that you don't even send him to and make sure you play Chad Johnson. And I don't care if they, you know, I don't care if that affects the result of the game or not. I think the Bruins know they go in the playoffs. And I think they should want to go to the playoffs with Tuka Rask as, as rested as possible rather than keep rolling them out and get to the second round of the playoffs have him exhausted and fatigued because he's never played this much before in a season and, you know, blow, blow a chance to, to win another cup. I think they have a serious and legitimate chance to make a, to make a run at it this year, but they're going to need Tuka to get some rest. He didn't travel with them to Buffalo. That's a good thing. Uh, the Bruins struggled early, but they got their act together late and they do look like to me like they're still, um, ready to make a, a serious run of things here in the last month and a half. I only saw a little of that game, and when I went back to look at the highlights uh, and see the goals and to see the box score for how the score got to be the way it was and how the result got to be the way it was, uh, I noticed, uh, like you said, the Bruins were down and they came back. And it seems like not only because of what happened in uh, in the first round last year against the Maple Leafs, but whether it's the playoffs, whether it's the regular season, it seems now for the last few years since the Bruins started uh, becoming a dominant force in the postseason that this team is never out of a game and there's really no lead that's safe. And I think back to last year in the cadence season when uh, – when they played the Rangers early on in February and the Rangers had a 3 nothing lead and they blew it in the third period against Boston and you know everyone here was in shock at the bar I was watching at and to me I'm just sort of used to seeing that with this Bruins core it just seems like they just never give up and, and they're always in every game it's almost like you can't put them away. Yeah because I think they're so deep I mean you know even when you know they, they, when they want to play their fourth line they can do it and they still and you know you got Danny Pye uh, be getting scoring opportunities. I mean, there have been times where they play the fourth line and Sean Thornton's the guy uh, creating scoring opportunities. So, I mean, this is a deep team. They built this team to be a deep team, and, and they don't, you know, as much as I like Jerome McGinley, I mean, I watch Louis Erickson play, and I say to myself, man, I'd love to see him on the off wing with David Krejci. You know, the Bruins, and Claude Julien has never really put that highly skilled winger 
or one of their uh, you know more skilled wingers on a line with David Krejci, and it sort of drives me crazy. Uh, but at the same time, you know that's Claude balancing the lines, and you know you cut Louis Erickson right now on a third line with Soderberg and Kelly. That you know Kelly and Soderberg when they were the third line at the beginning of the season with with Riley Smith, they were not just the best line in the Bruins for the first month of the season. They might have been the best line in the NHL for the first month of the season. So this is they're just a deep team, and they have some offensive defensemen like a Tory Krug that improves their power play. Uh, you know, Seidenberg's a big loss for the Bruins because it hurts them on a penalty kill, but they did just get Chris Kelly back from a, a serious injury. So, uh, you know, we'll have to wait for the trade deadline to see if the Bruins uh, can can get that veteran defenseman to play the penalty kill. But, um, you know, they, I think they, they're always in a game. It's, it's because they are so deep offensively, and they have the offensive defenseman a step to jump up into the play and add uh, offensive times, but yeah, I think it's just the depth up front that keeps them in the game. You mentioned Claude and how he hasn't really tinkered with the line combinations, given Erickson a chance at Krejci, and it it sort of mm-hmm. reminded me of seeing him at the U.S. rushing game, and they showed sort of the Canadian brain trust there, sitting with Babcock and Iserman and a few other guys, and it's weird with Claude because he's serving as Team Canada's assistant coach, and he's gained this tremendous respect around the league now, and I think back to three springs ago coming this spring, <laughs> when they were down two games to none against the Canadians in the first round, um, and we did a podcast, uh, and I called you, and you were I think you were golfing, and you're telling me, you know, they're done. Where it's baseball season, you know, they can't come back. And they come back, they win the Stanley Cup, they win all these game sevens, three series. If they don't get through that, Claude's fired, and it just seems like he's one of the most respected coaches in the league at this point. And he was so close just a few years ago that it's just weird to, th- to think about it and the, where he's come over these last couple of years. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I, I say this about anyone: uh, coaches get too much credit and they get too much of the blame. I, I mean. You want to go back to that Stanley Cup run? There were some things that happened. That there were some saves that Tim Thomas made. That you know, uh, it, it saves that he'll never make again, of course. And you, you know, you had everybody that bought in defensively. And uh, you know, like last year, up until the last three games of the Stanley Cup Finals, uh, everybody on this Bruins team they bought in defensively. And when they buy in defensively then they're a tough team to beat. Now, Claude Julien deserves a lot of credit for his defensive system. But, you know, one thing I didn't see and, and nobody really saw during that year they won the Cup, uh, you know, especially, I think, February and March, was they didn't see anybody buying in to that system. And, you know, there's just something that didn't look right. But when they got to the postseason, they bought in. And I think a lot of us here in Boston bought into the fact that if this core group defensively um, can buy, can continue to buy in when they get to the postseason. The regular season doesn't really matter. It's get this team into the tournament, get this team into the Stanley Cup playoffs. When they get there, at least right now, we know that Tukarask is good enough to at least get them to the finals. Um, we, we know that Daniel Chara is still in his prime. Um, I think, again, the biggest question defensively is going to be, hey, how do you replace Dennis Seidenberg? He was huge for this team. I don't think you can replace him, but I think you got to find a way to get some sort of veteran defensive player in here to at least create some sort of defensive competition with this team because they're going to win it with defense. And, you know, because of that year that you just mentioned when they won the Cup and the regular season were questioning the coach, I think we all bought into this idea that, hey, regular season, 
you know, just get into the tournament. And when you get in, you have a hot goaltender, and you play defense, and if the team buys in, you're going to have a good shot to win a cup. Well, with the trade deadline coming up uh, this coming week here, there's obviously a lot of talk here in New York uh, with Ryan Callahan, the captain of the Rangers, probably most likely getting moved. Uh, Dan Girardi's in the mix uh, for that as well. And going Mm -hmm. back, um, you know, about a month or a little over a month, probably six weeks, uh, when Girardi's name first uh, became sort of a trade rumor because of his contract, because of becoming a free agent at the end of the season. And the Bruins were rumored to be in on that. And I was willing to to drive him up to Boston myself. Um, You mentioned that you guys are looking for a veteran defenseman. And maybe it's not him at this juncture, but who are some of the names or, or some of the people that you'd like to see come to Boston? Dan Girardi, that's the guy. Uh, that's the guy. I mean, you can take um, him. I mean, you I, take him all you want. Yeah, well, I mean, Dan Girardi to me is look. I, I don't think he's going to come in here and change the landscape of how you play defense in the National Hockey League or even on this Bruins team. But uh, as I just mentioned, I, you know, I, I trust his defensive system, and I, I do think that of the guys that could be. I mean, you're asking me guys that could be available based on guys that you know have contracts that are up in the air. You don't know if a team's going to say, hey, we got to get rid of this guy and get something for him now while we can. You know, a guy that's in that situation is Girardi, and, you know, it just so happens that the Bruins are, are looking for that type of guy. Now, he's no Dennis Seidenberg. I'm not saying he's that. No, because he scores I, on uh, his own goalie. Well, I don't know that Seidenberg does it ever, but, I mean, <laughs> Girardi's good for a few, especially, I mean, if you look at back at that Rangers-Bruins playoff series, he changed that series pretty much single-handedly in the first two games. Yeah, I, I just think, though, that it's a product of the, the system that you're in, and, I mean, I, I do believe that he's good enough to, to be better than what they have um, I, you know, right now, defensively, I, I just, you know, I don't know that I, this Bruins team can go into a playoff series and or go into try to go into a playoff run with all the offensive defensemen they have. You know, the, the one guy that uh, is young and sort of more defensive than offensive is this kid, Kevin Miller. You know, but but he's, you know, I, I don't. There's still a big question mark there. I think I still need to see more of him before I can buy in, and I, I think the organization might feel that way too, before they can buy into him being any sort of replacement to Zeidenberg. You know, you talk about McQuaid, big kid, physical presence, I think you need him in the lineup. But defensively, I mean, I've seen him do some things and have some coverages where I'm scratching my head saying, what's he, you know, what's he doing with his stick out there? You know, you, you put it in the passing lane. Don't be putting it along the board. So, uh, I mean, this team does have some questions on the blue line with regards to defensive hockey. I'm not trying to crown uh, Girardi as the next Seidenberg because nobody available is going to replace Seidenberg. It's just not going to happen. But you need to try and do everything you can to come as close as possible. And out of the guys that are available, who knows? I mean, maybe some names become available between you know before the trade deadline. But if Girardi's name is available, he's somebody I would be interested in if I were the Bruins, if it was for the right price. So would you be in, in the market to rent him, or you're looking at the Bruins to sign him to that extension he wants? No, I think it would be a rental. I, I, I don't think there would be an extension here, which is, you know, I, I mean, which is why you can't give up too much for him. I know the Rangers are asking for, what, first-round pick and a, a, a roster player or a top prospect. I don't think you can give up that much, but... I mean, you you got to wonder if they're committed to moving them, maybe not publicly, but privately they're committed to moving them. You know, maybe you call their bluff and you hold out, and by the time the trade deadline's there, they say, hey, he's not going to sign with us. You know, we're going to have to get him somewhere, get something for him, 
and maybe they have to settle for less. I mean, if that is the case, then if I'm the Bruins at the last minute, I'm certainly involved in that. And with the depth you talked about earlier, this is, I think, the best team in the Eastern Conference is the Bruins. I know the Penguins have the most points, and they're going to be the Penguins, and they'll probably get the one seed. Uh, but to me, you know, if those two teams meet again in the playoffs, which they very very well could, I think the Bruins take them down again. And it just seems to me that the Bruins, I mean, like you said, any line they put out there they feel comfortable with. It's not just a matter of giving guys a rest or trying to eat the clock. They're, they can Every line is capable of putting the puck in the net and keeping the puck out of the net. I feel like from an outside perspective, they don't really need any help on the four lines. Is is that the case? Are they just looking for defensemen, or are they also looking for some forward help? I mean, I wouldn't look for help. I, I, I don't. I don't think you. I don't think you need to look for forward help right now. Um, if you're the Bruins, because as I mentioned, they have the. You know, the Bruins have the four lines, and um, you know, it, I've heard some people talk about uh, Marty St. Louis and. I guess I kind of scratched my head. I mean, I don't even know why he's he's demanding a trade. I, I guess because he didn't get picked originally for Team USA. <laughs> Seems like a pretty crazy reason to demand a trade for a team that's in second that's in second place in the division. I mean, why would you want a guy like that? That seems pretty selfish. So I'm I'm not sure the Bruins need offense right now. I think they need to focus on uh, getting a defenseman in here, create some sort of defensive competition when you get to the playoffs. And if you need to scratch some of the younger offensive defenseman that they have to get more defensive. I think that that's what the coach would want to do. And I do think, you know, we, we just talked about the coach and how important, you know, you know, how much of a name he's made for himself here and how much respect he has. I think that when Peter Shirelli makes a move, I do think that Claude is in the room and has a say. And I think if Claude has a say, he's saying, hey, we're fine with our four lines. And if we need to dip down and bring in a Ryan Spooner in, we can do that. But let's go out and get a defenseman right now. I, I think that's what they'll focus on, and that's it. Do you believe that the Bruins are the best team in the East? Um, I do. Uh, only because I, I think that Tuka Rask is the best goaltender in the Eastern Conference. Uh, and I think Zdeno Chara is still the best shutdown defenseman in the National Hockey League. I mean, you know, when you ask me are they the best team in the Eastern Conference, I, I guess I'm just thinking of playoffs. I mean, I don't know that I have an answer for you, regular season hockey. Uh, but I, I do know that last year in the playoffs, I can remember that there were a lot of people picking the Penguins to beat the Bruins. And what we saw in that series was something that I'm never going to forget with the way that Daniel Chara, you know, shut some guys down and the way that Tukaras played. Uh, you know, how much has changed with this team since then? You know, not much. So... <laughs> I have to continue to say that, yes, I believe this team is the best team in the Eastern Conference. And if I had a pick right now, if they give Tukaras the rest that, I, that is needed, give Chara some rest here down the stretch, even if they have to sacrifice the division for it, just get in. Yes, they're the best team in the East right now. Well, that's the thing with the NHL is that they can't afford to do that, and it doesn't really matter where they get seated because it's not, you know, it's not a big, huge difference. I mean, getting that seventh game at home, um, if, even if it comes down to that in this day and age with the NHL and all the cookie cutter ranks, and there's not really the home ice advantage that used to exist. So, to me, I mean, for the Bruins' sake, it doesn't even matter what seed they get in as long as they're in. Yeah, you just, I mean, just get in the tournament. I, I mean, you know, there's going to be a situation here down the stretch where they're going to have to ask themselves, all right, are we are we playing? You know, they play seven games in 13 days in April. And during that span, I think they play between now and April 13th, the end of the season. They play eight sets of back-to-back night games. I mean, 
there's no way that Tukarask should even play in in all of those sets, which means that I want to see Chad Johnson play some uh, both bet games of the back-to-back nights in some of those eight sets. So, and you're going to have to give Chara some rest. But during that process, you're going to lose some games with Chad Johnson in that. I mean, it's just going to happen. He's not a number one goaltender. We saw a couple of pucks against Buffalo uh, go off him and go in. And even that overtime goal that Buffalo scored, you would have liked Chad Johnson to save that. He's not too grass. You're going to lose some games. You might sacrifice the division with that. But that doesn't affect the bottom line, which is a seven-game playoff series. You know, this group of Bruins... They, they know what it takes. It seems like every year they have another veteran who's hungry for a cup, who obviously is bought in, and I'm speaking of Jerome McGinley this time around. Um, and who knows, if they add that veteran defenseman, maybe you get the same thing with him. But the core group, they're still here. They're still in their prime. Uh, if you can, the, the, real, the key is just giving Tuka rest, I think, down the stretch. Just get in, and they, they're going to have a chance to contend for a cup. Well, barring some uh, unforeseen disaster, the Bruins are obviously going to the playoffs. They're not in the situation that the Rangers yeah. are in here where they're jockeying for position and, and basically in a spot where uh, on a given night they could flip-flop seeds and uh, possibly mm-hmm. be, even be out of the playoff picture if they were to lose two or three games here in the next week. Um, so for you guys in Boston, I mean, this is a, is a whole different feeling than you. You're sort of just sitting back waiting for, uh, for mid-April and of April for the postseason to start. So is, is your mind with this Bruins team, or are you sort of looking ahead here to opening day for baseball? Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not really, I'm not really looking at opening day yet because uh, I want to see how this thing plays out in spring training with with the help of the pitching staff and and you know my eyes I guess will be on the young pitching staff and the guys that might have to jump in if something happens to someone. Uh, I guess Grady Sizemore is someone you look at uh, to see is he even going to make the roster. Uh, but then you got the young kids, Jackie Bradley Jr. with uh, Middlebrooks and, and, and Bogot. So, so yeah, we're looking at that a little bit. But, um, no, I, I, I do think that we're still looking at this Bruins team right now. At least I watch the Bruins games in regular season. You know, and I mix and match, and I say to myself, well, well how, how, do you, how are you going to mix and match these lines? And, again, as I mentioned to you earlier, I'd love to see, you know, Lucic in this game last night. Uh, they got a mix-up in lines, and he sent a pass across the slot to Erickson over to the right side, and Erickson, the left-handed shot, you know, he just gets to open up and rip a one-timer. Now, uh, Enroth made a, a nasty save on him, but, you know, I would love to see Erickson play on a top line with Lucic and Krejci. I just don't think Claude's going to do it because he wants that balance. But, you know, there's some other questions that, that I think we have with, with the different line pairings and whether or not Riley Smith will stay on a line with Bergeron and Marchand, or do you put Riley Smith back with Soderberg and Kelly? As I mentioned, they were the best line on the team for the first month. Um, but, uh, no, I mean, I, I still think we're focusing on Bruins. Obviously, as we get deeper into spring training, focus will be more on those young kids in camp for the Red Sox and, you know, in center field at short and at third, and even the young pitching staff, if something does happen to the, any of the veteran pitches. But, um, no, I, I think right now the focus is, you know, when, when Rajon Rondo uh, isn't in the headlines, I, I, I think the focus <laughs> is, is on the Bruins right now, and I think it will be for the next month and a half. Well, I noticed you said Marchand there, and uh, that's the change that uh, he asked for yeah. to the media. And how long did that take you uh, to get used to? Probably a month and a half after. I, I, I still say Marchand. I, I, until you just said it there in my head, I was like, oh, Dan mm. just said it wrong. And then I was like, oh, no, that's the new way. 
No, I don't like the new way. And to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if Brad Moshan is just messing with us because he's been <laughs> around for a while. He's listened to the uh, radio, the TV stuff, and he's never really said anything about it. So, um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's just messing with everybody. But, hey, he wants a Moshan. It's Moshan. It probably took me about a month, month and a half <laughs> to get used to. Well, with the baseball stuff, I mean, a year ago, Boston's coming off the disastrous Bobby Valentine one-year era and uh, you know, trying to get back in, in the fold, trying to get back to the postseason. They get back in it. They win the World Series. And, I mean, I never believe in a grace period as a Yankees fan. I feel like every year you're trying to win the World Series. And even when yeah. they win, like, say, 2009, you know, I feel like, oh, the next year it wouldn't be as bad. And then come the third game of the season, you know, I'm throwing the remote control around. But for you guys, I mean, this is now – Ten years ago, you know, there's nothing there, and now you've got three in ten years. So, are you are you full tilt with this team, or, or if they have a bad season, are you willing to let it slide? Um, I don't know if I'm willing to let it slide. I mean, <laughs> I, I think if the pitching staff shows up and uh, you know they don't perform at the level we know they're capable of performing, because and I think I preached this to you uh, and to everybody else all last year going into the season was. Hey, if this, you know, if Lackey shows up, if, if Lester shows up, if Buckholtz pitches, you know, this, this is, that's, those are three guys that can be dominant in this league. I've seen it happen. So uh, if those guys can pitch to their potential, they're going to have a shot. I, I think the question with this Red Sox team is, again, you know, these young kids, uh, what are they going to do? You know, who's going to be the leadoff hitter now that Ellsbury's gone? Um, you know, can Koji Uihara do this? do what he did last year, two years in a row. Are people going to catch on to that splitter? Down, lefty's going to be able to catch on to that splitter down and away. I, I mean, these are questions I have. I don't know if I let it slide if they don't win it again. Maybe that's not the phrase, but it depends on how they lose it. You know what I mean? I mean, if they went out there and the starting pitching performed and they got to the ALCS and, you know, UER ends up blowing a game, you know, that will probably be, you know, I, that, that wouldn't be really a tough pill to swallow knowing that they competed. But, you know, if Lackey goes out and he's terrible, if Lester goes out and he's just concerned about a contract and he's terrible, um, and Buckholtz gets hurt and can't finish the season, and, you know, they don't even get into the playoffs, then, yeah, that's frustrating and there's no excuse there. You obviously, We knew what they were capable of doing. They didn't show up again. That's where that will be tough, I think, for everybody, a tough pill to swallow. If, if, it, if it ends up being on the rotation, not doing their job, that will be a tough pill to swallow. You mentioned Lester there looking at the contract, and uh, mm. I mean, when he signed that team-friendly deal a few years ago, five years, $30 million, that just seems ridiculous, knowing that someone like CC Sabathia is going to make $23,700,000 to start. Yeah, I, I, and you know, he says he's going to take a hometown discount. I guess I ask, what's a hometown discount? Because he then points out, well, you know, I'm willing to take a Dustin Pedroia-type deal. And the first thing you do is look at, well, what did Dustin Pedroia get? Well, he got... He got an extension of eight years, 110 mil. Now, I have no problem giving John Lester. I have no problem with overpaying him per year. I don't care what you give him per year, to be honest with you. But it's the number of years. I mean, he's 30 years old. In the last two seasons, even last year, in the middle of the year, during the dog days of summer, I mean, he had some tough stretches where he just looked awful. He lost his velocity. He couldn't do anything with his cutter. And it was the same kind of problems that he had the year before. So, even though his off season, excuse me, his postseason last year was tremendous and was dominant, there have been some 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 red flags here with John Lester the last couple of years. He's thirty years old. I would think that if he's asking for anything more than four or five years, they're not going to give it to him. I'd give him all the money he wants, 
but don't give him more than four or five years. And if he's asking for more than that, he's just not going to get it. I guess you could say, hey, the worst thing in the world isn't isn't really a John Lester contract here, right? I mean, he's got to pitch. If he wants to deal somewhere, he's got to pitch, and he's got to be dominant. So I think it's, it's, it's a win-win for the Red Sox. I think that he was genuine asking for a hometown discount. And I think that when he's genuine, I think he's realistic, and I think he'll take a five-year deal. And if I'm the Red Sox, I, I give him a five-year deal, and I think they will. And I think actually something will get done before June. A few years ago, he scared me more than any other pitcher facing the Yankees, not only because he's a, he's a left-hander, but he's pretty much dominated them uh, since he came up. And he, he fell off, obviously, for those few years. And last year, like you said, you you preached that he had to bounce back if they wanted to do anything. And uh, mm. his regular season was was pretty solid, but it was really in the postseason that he sort of gained back that form, and he hadn't had it in a few years. And I think he's he's earned that right now where, you know, I'm scared of the Yankees facing John Lester again. Yeah, well, he started the year last year, too, pretty dominant. I mean, I don't know, maybe, I'm not sure how, if in other places in the country they realize this, but, you know, Lester and Buckholz in the first month of the season last year were, you know, two of the more dominant pitches. You know, they were the best one-two punch in baseball. Lackey was out at that time. He got injured up in Toronto. But Lester and, and Buckholz last year was so dominant in the first month. And then Lester struggled. But then he got it back late in the season. And, and I, you know, by August, uh, late mid to late August, he started showing signs of what he was at the beginning of the year. He got the velocity up a little. The cutter was a uh, a better pitch for him, you know, down and into righties, and and he started utilizing his change up outside to righties, and even used the cutter outside to righties, not just down and in, which was useful for him. So he changed some things up. He was able to get the job done. So it wasn't just the postseason. I mean, he did some things good in the end of the regular season, and even to start the year to get them off on the right track. Uh, they had a tremendous start to the season last year, and, and, and Lester was a big part of that. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think if he's got his mind right and, you know, he doesn't fall in love with that cutter down and in when he doesn't have the velocity uh, to righties, then if he changes some things up and, and can, learns to pitch the right way, he is somebody that, that, that is dangerous that teams should be scared of. David Ortiz's uh, annual contract sort of rant and it seems like every year during spring training, right, when the players mm. report, we get this from Ortiz. And, you know, it was only a few years ago where he, he not only ripped the Boston media, he ripped the city of Boston, or at least that's how they or they took it out of context or something. I remember him saying that Boston was a shithole or something like that. And now here he is again. And, you know, the guy's coming off one of the great World Series of all time, uh, the face of the franchise, uh, you know, one of the best players in the history of that franchise. Uh, do you think David Ortiz, you know, is in the right here with what he's saying? Um... I mean, look, I, I don't ever agree with someone that talks about the contract publicly, but, I mean, whether or not David Ortiz talks about his contract publicly or not, I don't think it becomes a distraction to the team right now, you know, when he was talking about it before they even showed up to spring training. I mean, even now in spring training, I don't think it's a distraction for anybody. I don't think it, I don't think it hurts anybody right now. I think people get mad at uh, that that he brings it up and and they say well he sounds like a crybaby he's always asking for a new contract well he's under contract and I guess in years past I I've sort of said the same thing you know when they were struggling they needed him to be a leader the last thing he should be doing is coming out calling for a new deal when he didn't really deserve it when his uh, you know numbers didn't call for it but let's face it I don't know anybody at the age of 38 that has as much negotiation power as David Ortiz coming off the season that he just came off of. So if he wants to come out and say, you know, hey, I realize I'm a DH and I don't play the field, but 
Brett Gardner just got, you know, he's going to pick $12.5 million a year. Um, I think I at least deserve one more year of 15 mil. I think he, David Ortiz is absolutely right to ask for that. In fact, if I'm the Red Sox, I give him two years uh, of 15 mil, maybe even more than 15 mil. But, um, you know, you have to, you have to give David Ortiz something. And I think they will. I think they realize that. Um, but yeah, I usually in the past I've said David Ortiz is in the wrong with this, uh, speaking about his contract. But, you know, right now, um, I, I think that, He's coming off the type of year he came off of last year, and yeah, I, I think I, I think he's right. I think he should get a, a new deal, and I, I think he has some negotiation power here, and uh, he should use it. All right, Dan. Well, thanks for joining me, and uh, with the last Rangers Bruins regular season game, maybe we'll get a chance to talk again during the playoffs. If not, I'm sure we'll talk uh, right before those Yankees Red Sox games in April. All right, talk to you then. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Neil.